The title of the message this morning, Zechariah's Quiet Time Out, is, uh, is a title that kind of came up when, we, when I realized that, that uh, this was going to be a children's service. But then I, I also realized that most of the children aren't going to be here by the time um, I get up to speak. And so, um, just to say that Zechariah's Quiet Time Out is really, um, really a message for older people. And um, the main character this morning is Zechariah. You, um, but you've actually heard the story before. Uh, Luke, like the other gospel writers, is a genius um, in his own way. And, and he is actively, imaginatively, theologically, creatively thinking about how to merge his story and his message and his ministry with the story that he is rooted in himself, the story of God's life and salvation in the history of Israel. And so you've heard the story of Zechariah and Sarah before, um, actually more than, more than once. You've, you've heard their story in Abraham and Sarah, two very old people. Um, Sarah was not able to have children, just like Elizabeth, um, and yet God blessed uh, Sarah with a son, Isaac. Um, Abraham asked God, how will I, how can I believe this? How can I know this is going to happen? And curiously enough, Luke puts that exact same question in Zechariah's mouth in his story. Zechariah asked the exact same question to the angel Gabriel. How do I know this is going to happen? How will I know since we are so, so old? You've heard the story also, or glimmers of the story, um, in another Old Testament story about Elkanah and Hannah. Um, Hannah desperately wanting a child and asking the Lord for a child and being told that she was going to have a child while she was speaking with Eli, the priest, in the temple. So this parallel of the temple, this parallel of Eli the priest speaking of Zechariah, a priest in the context of the temple. And um, the line before the description of uh, Hannah going home to Alkani and having, making love with um, her husband, the line is that the Lord remembered her. The interesting thing is that the name Zechariah means the Lord remembers again. But somehow, Zechariah doesn't remember. Somehow, Zechariah, this priest, who knows the story of Abraham and Sarah and Elkanai and um, Hannah, who knows these stories deeply and profoundly, who's responsible for, for sharing and living out these stories in his ministry as a priest, who is, who's kind of been raised on the Old Testament Jewish scriptures as a child on his mother's lap. When the angel appears to him and makes this wonderful promise, somehow he isn't able to connect the history of God's provision and blessing and surprising love in people's lives with himself. And so he ends up asking the exact same question that his father Abraham asked. So there's some parallels in this story. 
You could also include the old partnership of Anna and Simeon, who are not married, but, but who have in their age and their wisdom this kind of a similar kind of role in this story of couples through whom God speaks and works profoundly. But there's one thing in this story that is unprecedented. And that is that Zechariah, because he forgets, because he doesn't live into his name, that the Lord remembers again, is struck mute. He becomes speechless. That didn't happen to Abraham who asked the question. It didn't happen to Sarah who laughed. It doesn't happen to Elizabeth who seems to enter into her blessing with an open womb and an open heart and an open mouth in praise and celebration and good thinking. But Zechariah is struggling, and because he's struggling, he is struck mute. We could have said that he should have known better, and we've already said it. Here he was in the middle of God's ministry. He was the pastor, he was the priest, he was the one who was familiar with the story. And yet when it comes to him, when it happens to him, when it takes place before his very eyes and through words that he hears himself, he isn't able to respond. Maybe it's fear. It says that he was afraid. Mary was afraid. The whole kit and caboodle of them were struck with fear. The shepherds were afraid. Everybody was afraid of what God was doing through the ministry of angels during this short period of time. Or maybe he was just forgetful, and that, that is something that happens. It happens to all of us, even those of us who have been raised with the scriptures on our parents' laps, those who, of us who know the story well, and, and those of us who have learned to, to share the story well with with other people, sometimes constantly, sometimes once in a while. Maybe Zechariah asked the wrong question. Maybe the more provocative question would have been, why does God want to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children? How is that going to work itself out socially and culturally? What does that mean in terms of God's purposes through John? It doesn't ask anything about John, all these wonderful promises about John, this linkage with John who is going to be kept separate from worldly things, is a clear reminder to us of Samuel who also was going to be kept separate from worldly things because he's going to be God's prophet in the same way that John's going to be God's prophet. And so whether, whatever reason you can come up with, whether it's fear or forgetfulness of the story, whether it's rebellion, and I don't think it is rebellion actually because Elizabeth and Zechariah are identified as being righteous people. They are in tune with God. They're in step with God. They're filled with the Spirit. They're doing the work that God has called them to faithfully. Why is though the response so dramatic? Why does Zechariah, this person of history and this person of speech and this person of word and story, why is he struck silent? Maybe, maybe there's two ways to, to come at this. Let me suggest that there's a couple of ways. First, looking at a bigger picture, and then secondly, looking back to Zechariah's more particular, more particular picture. 
First thing that we know is that when Zechariah was struck silent, that the community was kind of surprised and didn't understand what was going on. And as Luke writes, because he was spending so much time in the temple, he was in the temple on his own for such a long time, Luke writes. They didn't really know what he was up to, but they, they realized that he somehow wasn't able to speak. stays in the temple a long time, and then as time goes on, speech is restored to him, but it's restored to him in a context. It's restored to him in a timing. It's restored to him in a way that fits with what God is trying to accomplish in his life. There's a whole history of God working through silence in Zechariah's own history, the history of the Old Testament. Let me just remind you of this. In a, in a world of many words, let me just give you this, this sort of history of silence and the drama of silence running through the Old Testament. Genesis 1, now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the next line is, and God spoke. God speaks out of the silence. God speaks out of the voicelessness. God speaks out of the formlessness and begins to create. The Lord appeared to Elijah, we read in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, when Elijah is running for his life, and he's on Mount Horeb, and the Lord says, go and stand on the mountain, and, and I'm going to appear to you. And so Elijah goes, and he stands on the mountain, and, and he experiences an earthquake. He experiences a fire. He experiences a powerful wind. But each and every time, we're told that the Lord was not in the fire. The Lord wasn't in the wind. The Lord wasn't in the drama of the earthquake. It wasn't the sign of the times through which God chose to speak. But when it says that through a small, quiet voice, or through a silent voice, as some translate it, that's where God spoke to Elijah. Through the silent voice. In the midst of the quiet in the midst of speechlessness with no drama, no catastrophic result, no kind of um, big event. In the Psalms, a particularly powerful one, verse Psalm 37, we're told, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still, as it comes in a command more than once in the Psalms, really literally translates, stop speaking or shut up and listen. Your speech isn't the priority here. Your answers, your ideas, even your questions aren't the priority here. There's a voice that's before your questions. There's a question before your question. There is an idea before your ideas. There's an insight that undergirds your insight. And notice the Psalms are mostly written in communal settings. This is a context of worship where the Lord says, be quiet. 
In the calling of that prophet Samuel, you remember that Eli, who is a guy who really struggles to kind of be in touch with God. He doesn't understand Hannah's prayers. He thinks she's drunk. He doesn't understand when the young Samuel comes because he's been wakened up in the night with a voice calling him Samuel, Samuel. But finally, Eli realizes that it's the Lord who's speaking to the boy. And so he instructs him in one of the most dramatic instructions of all time for our prayer. Go back and say to the Lord, Lord, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so it's in this context. And finally, near the end of the scriptures in Habakkuk, uh, one of the most dramatic lines in all of scripture, the Lord is in his holy temple that all of the earth becomes silent before him. Its parallel comes right in the midst of so much worship and speech in the book of Revelation. It's almost hilarious. After the opening of the seventh seal, the first verse of Revelation 8, about a third of the way through the book, says... When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. It's one of my favorite verses in scripture for a number of reasons. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Advent is surely the quiet season. It is surely the empty season. When John is born... Luke writes in the very last verse of Luke chapter 1, he writes that John lived in the desert until he appeared publicly. Why did he go to the desert? Because the desert in, for John and the desert for the children of Israel and the desert for Jesus are the place where their identities are formed. The desert is that quiet place, that lonely place, that, that place where you have no other choice but to listen. No other choice but to be present and reliant on God, who is present and who speaks. And we see this about John's pattern. It's amazing the speech that John comes up with. It's amazing that he can stand up against Herod and not be afraid. Why? Because he has been in that quiet place, because he's been listening. And his father, Zechariah, learned this in a more embarrassing way a generation earlier. Many of the narratives that define us and describe us and and really drive us to the way that we live, the one that we focus on during Christmas is the one about consumerism, but we could add workism and we could add multimediaism. Consumerism we, bothers us because we think it's about acquiring everything, putting ends up in our garage and we have to recycle it or give it away or just let it rot until we die. Um, and we have particular explanations and concerns about each of those isms that narrate our lives. But, but the reality is there's a unifying feature, and that is that those things drive us, to, they take up space in our hearts. They take up space. They fill us so that we're not able to become empty and quiet before God. So that we're not able to step into that wilderness. We're not able to walk into that desert place 
We're not able to actually hear that quiet voice that speaks to us. Jesus did this. Jesus was formed in the way of Zechariah, and he was formed in the way of John, and Jesus was formed in the way of his mother Mary, who pondered these things. The translation that was read earlier um, in the children's Christmas play, who, who took these things deeply in her own self, who took these promises of the angel and worked them through in the quiet, soulful space so that she was able to come to terms with what God was doing in her life. There's two things that result from Zechariah's quiet. Two things that happen. First, he really does hear from God for himself. A little bit later, in, when John is actually born, the community wants to name the baby Zechariah. It's a good name. It means God remembers again. But Elizabeth, who I think knew what she was talking about, didn't have to go mute in order to hear a word from the Lord somehow, maybe surprisingly, given women's intuition on this, these, and other things. Elizabeth says, no, the baby's not going to be called after my husband, this mute of a priest. He's going to be called John. And the community argues with her and says, but there's no one in your family who's ever been called John before. And so they turn from the mother and they go to the priest's father and they say, like, what's going on here? What's the baby to be called? And they give him some parchments and he writes out that the baby is to be called John. It's at that moment that his tongue is released. It's when his time spent in the quiet is able to speak to him in a way that changes and shapes his understanding. It's at that moment that Luke, the writer genius, says to us that Zechariah begins to speak again. And so one promise of the silent place is where it's where you find yourself. It's where you hear a word for yourself. It's where you Recognize who your name is and what your calling is and how much you are loved. And how deeply God promises to be with you in all of the renaming of things. As confusing as those things can be. The second thing is that Zechariah comes out of this silence as a magnificent psalm and hymn writer. One of the most beautiful and powerful hymns in all of the scripture, Zechariah gives life to these. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. He goes on rehearsing this history of Israel that he knew so well, the story of Abraham and Sarah, the story of Elkanah and Hannah. And then he speaks directly to his yet unborn son. And he speaks to the, to the child. And you, my child, you will be called a prophet. And you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people. See what he does? He, Zechariah has listened so well that he is now able to speak into the life of somebody else. 
how will we become believable to the people to whom we are going to share good news if we are just too busy to be believable? If we're too talkative to listen to them or to God or to the stirrings of our own hearts? There is a connection with the season of Advent and Rebecca Pippert's very, very strong encouragement that we have the good news of reconciliation to share with people. But know that reconciliation yourself. Know that belovedness yourself. Know that calledness yourself. Know that forgiveness yourself. And then when you know that yourself, you're able to actually speak it out. You're able to actually speak with articulation, even maybe beyond your natural giftedness to a wider audience. The ethos and the posture of the Advent season are identified in our, one of our most beautiful Christmas carols, O Little Town of Bethlehem. How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the wonders of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls still receive him, the dear Christ enters in. The writer of the hymns looking at the town of Bethlehem, it's this out of the way, not very important kind of place and realizing that it's at this out of the way, not very important place that God sends his son. Why? What's going on? For what purpose? Was that predictable? And so out of that comes this spirituality of silence, this spirituality of listening. You know that many pastors, missionaries, church leaders, and just average, wonderful, committed Christians in our own evangelical tradition are going back to the monastery. They are going back to the desert spirituality. They are doing this because they realize that they have been trained to speak, but they have not been trained to listen. You don't have to look very deeply below the surface to find out that this is true. One of our own missionaries came to speak to me several weeks ago about her plan to go to the monastery for a silent retreat in order to listen to what God was calling her to, in order to refresh her understanding. The monastery, of course, historically is linked to the desert. That's where it comes from in the Christian tradition. And so the ethos and the posture of Advent is one of listening. It's hard to do. It's such a busy season. It's such a kind of a committed, scheduled, and maybe even overscheduled kind of time. But if you're older here, if you're older like Zechariah and Elizabeth, and you, you just want to understand what's going on in your life, you want to understand what, what God is doing, you want to understand what maybe the next chapter looks like for you, take some quiet time out to listen to that small voice 
and you will get your direction. Maybe you're just graduating from university and you're wondering about the future and you just don't know what direction to go. You just lack courage. You're fearful about the possibility of work and you're confused about relationships. Whatever those things are, just take some time out to listen to that quiet voice. And that voice will guide you along the way. It won't be perfect. It wasn't perfect for Samuel. It wasn't perfect for John, for sure. And it wasn't perfect for Jesus, who got up every morning and went to that quiet place by himself to pray. If you're wondering about things that are happening in the lives of people that you love the most, like sickness, if you're wondering about Les Talbot, who we saw last week in our worship here at Knox Church, and what's going on there. If you're passionate or becoming open to the issues of the world and you're wondering how you become involved with compassion and service, how, how you can actually make a practical difference in issues that seem so big and so large and so far away, take some time out to listen. And that quiet voice will guide you in the way of compassion and will open up doors of service and difference making for you. It's a busy time. It's a time of buying and giving. It's a time of celebrating. So many of these things are such wonderful, good things. Just invite you as people and invite our community as a church to take some time out to realize that even today in the context of our worship, that the Lord is in his holy temple. So we have an opportunity to contemplate the presence and the power and the love of God. We have the opportunity to, to do what that word contemplate means, which means to construct a little temple and to live inside that temple. So that that voice who spoke creation, who spoke salvation, who speak, spoke forgiveness, who spoke calling, who spoke promise, will once again speak into our lives and to our hearts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the conversation at the center of the universe. Amen.